This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles, and if you would go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, number 4, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, and uh, I appreciate that song, and uh, obvious this evening that our, our song has been centered upon uh, the theme of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. I'm sorry to disappoint you, I don't have a message on that particular subject. But I'm grateful for the emphasis on the coming of the Lord. And He is coming again. And we need to be reminded of that in these days in which we live. We've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday evenings. And we come uh, this evening to uh, chapter number 4. Uh, we know that the Apostle Paul has been writing to this Corinthian church. A church which he said uh, came behind in no gift. They were a very gifted congregation. And though they were a gifted congregation, they were a divided congregation. In fact, the Apostle Paul called them a carnal church. Uh, to be carnal is to be fleshly, earthly minded. We understand that Corinth was a wicked city. Oftentimes when we look around and see what is happening in our nation, in our world, we think of the wickedness that fills especially uh, the larger cities in our nation. And we understand that what was happening or what is happening in our nation and in the cities of our nation uh, really was no different than what was taking place. Absent the modern technology and the modern industry, there's really no difference in what was happening in ancient Corinth and what is happening in our world today. The Corinthians also were heavily influenced by the Greeks and the Greek culture. They were also heavily influenced by the Romans. The Roman philosophy was one of strength and power. The Greek philosophy was one of earthly wisdom. And so the Apostle Paul had gone to Corinth and he had ministered there for 18 months, preaching the gospel. Souls were saved. A church was established. And now he is writing to this church and he is writing to them are really to correct some things that were going on in the church. Because they were not thinking as Christians, they were thinking as Corinthians. And as we live in this world, we understand that oftentimes we develop attitudes and we develop a, a way of thinking that is more fashioned after the world than it is after Christ. And the Apostle Paul's message to the church at Corinth is that they were to be conformed to the image of Christ, that they were to think not like Corinthians, but like Christians. And so having been reminded in chapter number three that we must all appear before the Lord Jesus Christ and be judged, we come to chapter four and here the Apostle Paul is dealing with the criticism that he has been receiving uh, from the Corinthians. Remember now, the Corinthians were divided. 
as I said earlier, and they were divided along the lines of personality. There were those who said, I am of Paul, he's our man. And others said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't like that Paul fella. I like Peter. I mean, I like, he, he, I'm he's a man's man and, and he says what he means and means what he says and, and uh, I like to hear that guy. And the other guy says, no, 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 he's too rough for me. I, I like that, um, I like that Apollos. I mean, he's smooth, he's eloquent. I could listen to that guy all day. His voice is, is tantalizing. I love to hear him. And so what was happening is that factions were being established within the church. And this was not the work of God. This was the work of the devil to divide God's church. And so as we come to chapter number four, the apostle Paul is speaking concerning the subject of servants and stewards. That's the title of the message this evening, Servants and Stewards. <clears throat> I had talked to you earlier in the introduction of this book concerning those slaves who were in bondage and who were uh, serving in the mines in Corinth and the fact that they, many of them uh, hardly ever saw the light of day. Uh, many of them died dreadful deaths. They lived awful lives in the depths of the mines. And uh, the, the, the Corinthian uh, mindset was that we would never stoop to that level. And so they brought in slaves, of course, from around the world to do so. The apostle Paul is going to paint for them a picture that runs contrary to their thinking. We come to chapter four and verse number one, let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very, uh, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up uh, for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as thou hast not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, 
But as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus have I begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? Here we find the Apostle Paul says in verse number one, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I want to speak to you on the subject, servants and stewards. We note some things here in this passage, and I hope you'll write them down and follow along with me. First of all, I want you to see there is a service to render. A service to render. Now, the Corinthian church, as Paul has characterized them, they have become puffed up. They are quite proud of themselves. They are quite proud of their giftedness. They're quite proud of their culture and their learning and their wisdom, and they're enamored with the wisdom of this world. Paul is, of course, correcting their thinking to help them understand that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to Christ. He is preparing them to receive, or be willing rather, to bear the reproach of Christ. That is a burden that many do not want to carry. Paul is correcting their view of ministry and their view of God's ministers by helping them to understand that they were not there to be served. They were not there to be loved and admired and respected by the world. Uh, we live in a, in a confusing time here in, in this modern era where many Christians are seeking to gain the approval of the world. They are adapting the ideology of the world uh, so that their message uh, may be more marketable, more acceptable to a lost and dying world. And truthfully, the motive behind it is not a motive that has at its core a desire to serve Christ and please Him. It has a motive that at its core is that we would serve ourselves because none of us like to be reviled. None of us like to bear reproach and be mocked. We like to be admired and we like to be served. We live in a service culture, but we do not like to serve. And the Apostle Paul is reminding them that the ministers of Christ are really just servants. That's who they are. So there's no reason to be enamored with your giftedness or what your position is in the church or, or your viewpoint on an issue. There's no reason to think that you uh, must have your way or must, uh, must uh, employ your giftedness. No, you need to recognize, he says, that you are here to serve the Lord. And that is the reason Paul said that we are here to serve the Lord. There is a service to render. What a privilege it is for you and I to have the opportunity to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a blessing it is. 
Now, notice what he says here. Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, here we find how they were to be reckoned, how they were, be, how they were to be reckoned. I'm, he's speaking here of the apostles. He says, let a man so account, that, that's a banking term, uh, an account uh, uh, to, to count us, to value us, to esteem us. How is it that we should be identified? How is it that we should be reckoned? Remember now, they're divided. Paul, he's our man. No, no, it's got to be Apollos. No, it's got to be Peter. Well, I like this guy. Have you heard him? He's really good. I mean, you see, that's the culture we live in, pop culture Christianity. You don't find that in the Bible. And Paul says, wait a minute. What you need to understand about who we are as the apostles, Paul, Apollos, Peter, we are ministers of Christ. Now, the word ministers means this. It means that they were the under rowers. They were the servants, the slaves, down in the depths of the galley of the ship. And what were they doing? They had, their, they had the oars in their hand. And at the command of the ship's master, they would move the oars. And the ship would move. That, that would be a very common, a very readily identifiable term for those Corinthians to understand because they were, understand, they, they were used to seeing the ships come into port, those Roman vessels and those galley slaves powering those ships. And those galley slaves were the least among all the slaves. Now, we have to understand a vast number of people in this era, this New Testament era, were slaves. And slavery as it existed in those days was not as what we think about in 1800s America. There were many, many slaves in the Roman culture and there were different standings, classifications, if you would, among the slaves. Here are the lowest slaves in the order. These were the galley slaves. And here's what Paul is saying. In our service to Christ, here is who we are. We are bond slaves and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you consider yourself to be that? Then he goes on to say, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. So how are we to be reckoned? We're to be reckoned as servants and we're to be uh, reckoned as stewards. Now, what is a steward? A steward is a manager. He manages the affairs of another. He manages the household of affairs of his master. And there are other slaves that are engaged in the household duties, but it is the steward's responsibility to oversee the slaves. So here you have Saul, or Paul rather saying, we are the lowest group of servants, but we're also the stewards. We are managing the affairs of Christ. We are teaching and preaching the truth. We are committing to you his truth. As God gives it to us, we are giving it to you. We have a service to render. And therefore he says, uh, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Look at verse 2 before we read verse 3. We see not only how they were to be reckoned, but we see what was required of them. What was required. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, say that last word with me, faithful. Now, this was a gifted church. 
they, they could amaze you with their giftedness. I imagine their choir was tremendous. Maybe they had some great instrumentalists. Maybe they had some tremendous soloists. Uh, some gifted teachers and, and, and gifted preachers. But we're not accountable for our giftedness. We are accountable for our faithfulness. What is required? It is not that we be gifted. It is that we are faithful. And if we are gifted, then it is required that we faithfully execute or carry out the ministry that Christ has given us and use those gifts that he has given to us. So what is required in a steward? Not that he be gifted, although God gives us gifts. What is required is that he is faithful. They had missed that point altogether. Then he says in verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. You see, here he's trying to distinguish something. That men judge things differently than God. We judge things with the natural eye. Remember uh, when uh, Samuel went to the house of Jesse and he saw the oldest son of Jesse? What did he say? Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And the Lord said, don't look on his countenance. He said, man looks on the outside, but I, God, he said, look, I look upon the heart. You see, God judges differently than we judge. These Corinthians had heard voices and said, man, I like that. They had seen the appearance of, uh, of certain individuals and they said, I really like that guy. I like his winsome personality. And they were, they were making judgments based on outward things. The eyes could see, the ears could hear. But God is saying, I judge according to the heart. And Paul is distinguishing here the judgment of men versus the judgment of God. And he says, you need to understand what is required in a servant is that he is faithful. May God help us to be faithful. You know, you may not be very gifted, but you can be faithful. Faithfulness is, a, is an admirable quality. It's a wonderful thing. Confidence in an unstable man is like a tooth out of joint. That's what the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we need faithful people who will be in their place. I thank God for the faithful members of the Tabernacle Baptist Church. I don't have to worry about the nursery being staffed. I don't have to worry about uh, the parking lot attendants and security uh, per people being in place. I, I don't have to worry uh, about all of these things. There are faithful people in this church who are here. And I, I admire you for that. I thank you for that. The faithful people who give. Uh, during the shutdown last summer, uh, the people in this church gave faithfully to the Lord. And you've continued to do that. Praise be to God. You see, we're all just here as servants of God. And there's one thing we can all do. We can all be faithful. We may not have the same level of giftedness. We may not have the same positions, but we can all be faithful regardless of our personality. Let's do what God has given us to do. Let's be faithful. Amen? You see, you'll never see God do a great work if you aren't willing to be faithful to God and endure some difficulties and endure some hard days. What is required? That we be faithful. Then he said, notice here, what will be revealed? What will be revealed? Notice he said again, it's a small thing if I'm judged of you. He says in verse four, for I know nothing by myself, 
yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now here's the big thing. You see, there were lots of critics in the Corinthian church and they were tearing Paul apart. They were tearing Peter apart. They were tearing Apollos apart. You know, I wish he would do this. And I wish he would do that. And why does he have to do this all the time? Lots of criticism there. But he notes here, he says, look, you have opinions, but it only really matters what God thinks. And by the way, when you're serving the Lord, you can get really discouraged uh, by the, res the response of people to your ministry. And if you're ministering solely to get response from people, accolades, appreciation, uh, then you're going to have a lot of disappointing days. Therefore, you need to remember that you are here to serve the Lord. And you have one person to please in ministry, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice what he says in verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. He says, fellas, you really need to reserve judgment here. You keep making all, all types of judgments against God's servants, and you really just need to be quiet. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Let the Lord take care of this. In Romans chapter 14, he said, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or he falls. He says, And yea, he shall be holding up. You see, we are not in a position to judge God's servants. We don't know everything about their situation. We see things and sometimes we can form opinions, but we need to be very careful about the judgments we make because here's what we find out about the difference between our judgment and God's judgment. I mentioned a moment ago is that God can see into our hearts and he knows everything that goes into our service. Notice again, in verse 5, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. There are things that you and I can't see. And will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. God will reveal the motives. He will reveal every aspect of our service, our sincerity, our purity, uh, and, and lack thereof. And then shall every man have praise of God. God will really value us for who we are. He makes the final judgment concerning our service. Now, that ought to encourage us and also cause us to examine ourselves, right? Because as we learned in our study of chapter 3, that all of us are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account for what we've done. We're builders. We're building alongside the Lord and his, his apostles, his church. We're building in the ministry, but we must give an account for how we build it and what we've built. And so we see what should be revealed. So number one, there is a service to render. Who are we? We're not here to be served. We are here to serve. We're here to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't come to a church and say, listen, what is it these people can do for me? Come to a church and say, what is it that I can do for the Lord and to make a difference in the lives of people? You say, well, you know, nobody's, nobody, you know, nobody's done anything for me lately. Well, let me ask you a question. Here's a better question. What have you done for others lately? And may God help us to keep that attitude. We just, we just sang the song concerning the Lord Jesus and how that he came to this earth. And uh, he took upon himself the form of, uh, of a man. He, he became a man without ceasing to be God. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he humbled himself unto death even the death of the cross. 
Jesus said, I, I didn't come to be served. I, I came to serve. The Son of Man has come to serve. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we see if we follow his example and we understand our accountability and responsibility to him, there is a service to render. Are you rendering that service? Secondly, we see that there was a lesson to learn. A lesson to learn. Notice it again in verse 6. Uh, we see the Bible said in these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written that none of you be puffed up for one against another. Now, if you've been with us in this study, you've noticed that the apostle Paul has said, look, there's no reason to be divided along the lines of personalities because we are fellow laborers and he gives us different pictures. He gave us the picture in chapter 3 of people who are building. We're the construction crew. We've showed up. Our heavenly superintendent has, has shown for us the foundation, and, and we are to continue to build on that foundation. We need to be careful how we build it. But we are builders. We're construction workers. He gave the picture of farmers, how that they're in the field sowing and watering, and reaping. They're all working for the same purpose. They may have different functions. They may have different gifts, but they're all serving in the same field. And so he says here in, in verse number six, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. In other words, I've used these illustrations to show you who we are, we're servants, we're out in the fields, we're building on the construction site, that's who we are. I've done that to help you understand that we're not to think of men more highly than that which is written. Here's the purpose of it, that none of you be puffed up for one against another. That was the problem, right? Pride was the problem. Whenever there's contention in the church, whenever there's division, it's because of pride. It's because of that sin that resides in the heart of humanity, that pride. It says, I'm right, you're wrong. I got to have my way. Who are you to interfere with what I want? That's pride. Pride to say, I mean a whole lot to this church. And by the way, I want you to know all of you do. But don't think you mean more that you mean more than what God says you mean, right? Don't think of yourself, as Paul wrote, more highly than you ought to think. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. This is his instruction. There's a lesson to learn. And what is the lesson? It is the lesson of humility. Humility. And I want you to know that's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? Remember this morning we're talking about David. David in the cave. David going, fleeing to uh, Gath, making his own decisions. And now in chapter, 20, uh, chapter number 23, when he finds that the Philistines have gone to Keilah, he probably has the skill to defeat them without doubt because he had defeated those Philistines many times. But what does he do before he goes? He inquired of the Lord. When his men were filled with fear and said, we don't want to go, what did David do? Did he chastise them and say, hey, look, I'm the captain here. Let's go. No, he went back to the Lord and inquired again. 
When he heard that Saul was coming to Keilah, what did he do? He, he inquired of the Lord. You see, God was teaching him to inquire of the Lord. What is God teaching the Corinthian church? He's teaching them to humble themselves because if they're ever going to be useful, if they're ever going to be effective, if anything is going to be accomplished in Corinth, those believers must humble themselves. So may God help us to be humble, to keep a humble, gracious spirit. Notice verse seven, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? What does he mean here? He's saying, when you think about your giftedness, when you think about your wealth, many of the Corinthian believers were wealthy. They were respected in their community. He said, what do you have that you didn't receive? In other words, what do you have that somebody didn't give you? Sometimes I walk through my house and, and from room to room and, and, and there's furniture in every room in my house. I thank God for that. It's amazing to me when I think about what furniture in that house I bought. And I want to say this, very little. Most of it was given to me. How foolish would it be for me to walk around and say, you know, see that bedroom suit? I worked hard and I earned that. See that living room? Furniture? I just walked in the store and they gave it to you. They really liked me. Or I worked hard, I earned that. Look what I did. No, every time I walk in my house, I'm reminded that people who loved me gave me things. Why was it that this church had heard the message of the gospel? Why was it that this church was gifted in the service of the Lord? I want to tell you why. It's not because of who they were. It's because of the graciousness of God. We are not here because we're great people. I'm sorry. We're here because we have a great God. And if you can sing, you ought to sing in this choir. Amen? Let me say that again. I didn't get enough amens there. If you can sing, you ought to be singing this choir. Amen. If you can play and perform and, 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 and uh, you, you're skilled with an instrument, you ought to be helping play in the orchestra. Amen. If you can wipe noses and change diapers, you ought to be serving in the nursery. From up here, I didn't hear many amens. <laughs> You see, if you possess any ability, it's not because you're a great guy. It's because you have a great God. Paul said, you people, you know, you're, you're divided over who can speak in tongues and who can and, and who has a word of prophecies, we'll see in, in later chapters, and, and who has a word of knowledge and all these things. And, and, and what's happens? you become puffed up and you become proud and, and you have forgotten that you have nothing that somebody didn't give you, and the one who gave it to you is God. People talk about their money. A preacher wants my money. I, I, I want you to know I don't want anything. But the Lord may want it because he's the one who gave it to you in the beginning. And if you love him, you'll have no problem giving him what belongs to him. Amen? Yeah, don't fall asleep on me now. Come on. We're midway through. So then he gives him an illustration here. He says in verse 8, 
He's given them instruction, be humble. Then he gives them an illustration. Now ye are full. He's talking to them with a sarcastic note and he's speaking to them concerning their own mindset that they had arrived, that they were somebody and that uh, their group was the group in the church. Now you're full, now you're rich, you have reigned as kings without us. I mean, you really are impressive people. You have everything you need. And I would to God ye did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed to death. They are talking about their life and living their best life now. And the apostles are saying we're appointed unto death. By the way, so are we. Death to self. To carry our cross. To bear it for Christ's sake. Paul said, I, this life I live in the flesh. He says, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, it's not I that live, but Christ liveth in me. So he said, we're appointed unto death. For we're made a spectacle, verse number nine. We're made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We're a spectacle, he said. We're ridiculed, we're mocked, we're made fun of. People who believe the Bible in this age are mocked and ridiculed and made fun of. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat it. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. And that has been the history of the Christian church for the past 2,000 years. But it is not the mindset of modern day America or American pop Christianity. This is we want to be loved and accepted and heralded. We want to be wealthy. We want to be comfortable. Listen, if you are going to speak the truth in this culture, you are not going to be received well. People are going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to ostracize you. And we're seeing that persecution ratchet up. And I use the word persecution. It's really not persecution compared to what's happening in Africa and in India and in the Middle East and other places throughout the world where Christians are truly being persecuted. Their lives are being taken because of their faith in Christ. Here, it's political pressure. It's financial pressure. It's, it's, it's peer pressure. And we're going to see more and more of it. So the lesson to learn is that we're to be humble people. Humble people. And if we stand for Christ, we're going to suffer the consequences of those decisions. Therefore, if we are in the business of serving ourselves, we're going to be terribly disappointed. And we need to come to a realization of that. We're here to serve the Lord. Now, 
Let me give you the third thing. Uh, we see here there is a service to render, and then secondly, there is a lesson to learn. That lesson is humility. And then thirdly, there is a warning to heed. A warning to heed. I write not these things to shame you, verse number 14. Paul said, I, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I write not these things to shame you when you think about how we're suffering while you are basking in your glory. He said, no, I'm not writing for that purpose. I'm writing, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So here's the warning. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have, uh, yet have ye not many fathers for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. There's a warning to heed here. Paul said, I warn you, follow me, imitate me, learn from me. Now this is not a pastor getting up in front of you today in an American church and necessarily saying to you, you need to follow me. No, who is Paul? He is an apostle. He has apostolic authority. He has received the mysteries of God and the mysteries of the church, and he is delivering that through his teaching and through his writings to the New Testament church. What he says and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is what we would refer to as gospel truth. Therefore, we need to be very careful who it is that we follow. We are to follow the teaching of the word of God. Now, we live in an era just as the Corinthians did. You see, they would gather and hear people make speeches and, and give orations, and, and, and they, would, they would present new doctrines and, and new philosophies and, and new teachings and, and try to impress one another. That was a part of their culture. That was a part of their entertainment. That was a part of the pride of their, their mentality. That's what it meant to be a Corinthian, to be a wise person, they thought. And so they were used to this idea of all these different teachers coming in. And now this was creeping into the church and people were getting enamored with different teachers. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to warn you about something. You need to stick with the truth of the word of God. What is it that we need in this era, this moment? We need to stick with the truth of the word of God. We need to test everything in the light of the scripture. Every philosophy, every doctrine of science and sociology, all of this, this cultural revolution that is mounting up like an avalanche and just roaring at us, uh, threatening to overtake us. We need to examine it all in the light of God's truth. So he says, I, I, I warn you, be careful who you're listening to. Let me just put it that way. Be careful who you're listening to. Make sure that the people you're listening to are speaking the truth of the word of God. The Bible tells us there are things that we should avow, 
things that we should hold to, but it also tells us there are things to avoid, and may God help us to be discerning in this age in which we live. There's a warning here. This warning is predicated on a relationship. Notice it, please, in verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. He's writing to them because he loves them. They are his children. They're not his physical children. They are his spiritual descendants. He loves them with the tenderness of a father who loves his children. Verse 15, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. Remember who it was that had came to Corinth and preached the gospel. It was the apostle Paul. The majority of those converted in that, in that church were converted as a result of the preaching and ministry of the Apostle Paul. He was a father to them. And he says, for in Christ have I begotten you through the gospel. What did Paul write to Timothy as he was concerned about Timothy in those last days? He said, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Let me tell you something. The relationship is important. If our church is to serve our community with the gospel of Christ, it won't be necessarily because we have a, a pulpit ministry, although that's very important. It won't be necessarily that we have a music ministry. It's very important. It will be because God's people have built and established relationships with people and presented them the message of the gospel. And what holds a church together? What keeps people involved and in the circle of influence of the church are the relationships that are crafted and built by God's people. And the apostle Paul here is appealing to the relationship. Then he says, not only do we need to understand there's relationship, but there's a remembrance that you need uh, to keep in mind here. Verse 17, for this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. When we come to the church every Lord's Day, Sunday morning, Sunday night, when we gather for prayer meeting on Wednesday night, when we go to our Sunday school classes or we have fellowship, we're gonna have youth camp in a few days. All of those things in each and every activity, what are we doing? We are bringing into our remembrance what Paul wrote, what the Bible says, what the word of God teaches and instructs. And we need to be reminded of it day after day. How many, how many times have you walked an aisle, shed some tears, prayed a prayer and said, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm going to do better. And then found yourself a week later, maybe even a day later. You'd already forgotten it. That's part of our human nature. That's part of our sin nature. That's part of our makeup. That's part of our flesh. It resists the work of the Spirit. Therefore, you and I have to be reminded again and again. We need to be brought into remembrance. My wife has this ministry. I'm telling you, she's really good at it. Reminding me what I need to do. And even though she reminds me sometimes, I still don't do it. We need to be reminded of God's truth. That's why we need the house of God. That's why we need the preaching of the word of God. And I'm telling you, I can't make it on one service a week. I need all three. I need to be in my Bible daily. I need to listen to sermons. I, 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 need, to, I need to hear Christian music. I need to talk about the Lord or have prayer uh, with a friend these are things that help us 
keep the truth in remembrance. Then lastly here, in this warning, he speaks of relationship and he speaks of remembrance, but then he speaks of reproof. He says in verse 18, but now some are puffed up <clears throat> as though I would not come to you. You see, there was an element in the church. They were Paul's critics. They were discounting him. Uh, they said, oh, there's nothing really he can do about this. We don't like him. We like Apollos. And so he said, some of you, some of you are puffed up. You, you're so full of pride and arrogance, that's really the term for puffed up here. You're so full of arrogance that you don't believe that anybody will hold you responsible for what you're doing. You know, a church provides a wonderful thing for us. It makes us uncomfortable, but we all need it. Do you know what it is? Accountability. Accountability. And when we're not doing right, we, we do not like to be held accountable. <laughs> that's why a lot of times we just kind of drift out of church when things aren't going right. When we, when we slide away from the Lord, when, we're not, when we develop attitudes that aren't right, we, we just sort of drift away because we don't like that accountability. Paul said, wait a minute, I want you to understand something. You need to be held accountable. You need to be confronted for your error. Look in verse 19. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Paul here is beginning to reason with him. Look, you know that what you're doing is wrong, and you need to be confronted with it. Don't ever get to the place where people can't confront you. It's not easy. It's not enjoyable, but it's altogether necessary. Now, Paul did not want to confront them with the rod, did he? That's not his spirit here. How did he want to confront them? In love and in meekness. We get a glimpse of Paul's approach in 2 Timothy, and we'll close here. Verse number 2. He's writing to Timothy who's dealing with frustrations of pastoring in a very carnal place called Ephesus and the behavior of many of those who were Christians. And Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. In other words, he doesn't carry a sword or he's not like Saul with a spear in his hand all the time, right? He's not ready for a fight, not with the sheep, but he entreats them gently, apt to teach. He's instructing them, patient, patient with people. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So how does he come? He comes reproving them, but he comes in humility. And so the apostle Paul is communicating a message here. What is the message? We are servants. Have you got the message tonight? 
who are you? Well, I'm a, a very prominent member. I remember we, we, we started attending a church some time ago in Knoxville, and, and someone said to us, do you know the so-and-sos? They're very prominent members down there. They're no prominent members. Do you know who we are? We're galley slaves. We're ministers, servants, stewards of the mysteries of God. So we have a service to render. We have a lesson to learn. If we're going to be effective servants, if the church is going to thrive, we must take on the spirit of Christ. We must take on the spirit of humility and learn the painful lesson of death to self. And we must heed the warning of the Apostle Paul to follow the truth of God's Word and tune out the rest. We live in a noisy world. We hear lots of things. Let's make sure what we hear bears witness with the truth of God's Word and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Servants and stewards. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.